Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, and thank you so much for joining me for another episode where we focus on our extraordinary talent in Australia in robotics and AI. I'd like to just uh, thank my sponsor, Anchor, who is also the major sponsor for the Generate 22 conference that's going to be happening at the end of March in Melbourne. Anchor is an advanced manufacturing company of CNC grinding machines, automation, motion control solutions, and sheet metal fabrication. Anchor is hiring. Anchor welcomes people who don't want to stand still in their career. People who grab new opportunities with both hands and are always looking to explore new possibilities. Anchor operates in a world of technology and is constantly on innovating. This makes for dynamic and creative careers in their Melbourne-based headquarters. And are you up for a challenge? So do go and have a look at their website, www.anchor.com, and uh, look at their opportunities then. If you think you're the right fit for this company, do contact them and get in touch. It, is, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to my guest today, who is Amelia Liu. Her tagline on LinkedIn is Wildcat Robotics Field Engineer at CSRO Data 61. So I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today, Amelia. How are you? I'm doing really well, thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me on this. I'm really oh, excited to be here. It's a great pleasure. I've, I've so been looking forward to this um, new year and new start. We were sort of briefly touching on mm-hmm. COVID, but I think we're both fine. We look healthy and, and, and carrying on in our worlds. Yes, thankfully. Yes, <laughs> I think so. You're a mechatronics engineer. Tell us mm-hmm. a little bit where your interest in robotics started. Yeah, um, so I actually didn't do anything robotics related, programming related uh, during school. So it was actually also quite a surprise for me to find robotics and robots and all of that sort of, that whole world, really. Um, And I only found it probably in the first year of uni. Um, I actually got into engineering at QUT just because I figured engineering's massive. I'm sure I'll find something that I'll like within this. this. Um, And sure enough, it, it did end up working out quite well for me. I think I just happened to stumble upon like a TED talk during the end of my first year. And it was actually about like bionic legs and bionic limbs. And there's like an MIT professor, Hugh Her, who did this presentation. And he was talking about how um, some of the bionics legs that he was developing was for a dancer who lost her leg during the Boston bombings. And that like TED talk was also the first showcase of her wearing one of the bionic prosthetics and being able to dance again. And I just found that incredibly uh, exciting and just the potential for all of this the bionics, the robotics, all of that sort of stuff, and just how much um, impact it can make in our world. So just touching on your, um, you know, like a bit of a surprise for you, I'm assuming that you had STEM-based subjects at school, mm-hmm. that it, it sort of made it an obvious choice, or an easier choice for you to do this? Yeah, sort of. So I did do quite a bit of STEM um, during school, but nothing, I don't think any of that stuff really showed me what it could mean, though, beyond like doing chemistry research. So I think that was like the only form that I saw it kind of being portrayed within the industry. But uh, one of the things that I did quite enjoy, though, was biology. And I did really enjoy like the medical aspects of stuff, which is probably why that TED Talk really resonated with me, uh, because it was more than just being able to study like anatomy and physiology or like the traditional paths, I guess, of like doctors or physios, like healthcare professionals. And it was something a bit more technical to it as well. 
Um, and I think that was the thing that really excited me about it is that it was then more of like a cross-disciplinary application, which was really neat. So if you had any advice for kids at school, high school now, what would you say to them about their career <laughs> options? Just just based on what you've just told me now, like uh-huh. you, know, you sort of fall into things, but when you're at school, you've got no idea about this big world out there and the decisions you're making there that can really impact you. Yeah, well, um, I think in the same way that I kind of found my way through engineering in that it is such a broad industry. And they're really, I mean, the more, the longer that I spent in it, the more that I realized that there are so many niche fields. And so I think if you enjoy problem solving in a relatively technical way and probably enjoy making things or like the design of things, then I think you could probably end up finding a spot in engineering or like an area within engineering that would actually end up suiting you quite well. Yeah, I was just curiosity, I think is the, the key thing. I think you have to just stay curious and just Keep exploring, finding out what you like. I think no decision is a is a hard decision. Um, and just, yeah, continue looking. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I think your um, career, I think any degree is just the base and eventually you, mm. know, you could, I hate the word pivot, but like you, you could go into five different directions in yeah. your career and it's all just based on the fundamentals that you've got, but it just broadens mm-hmm. um, the options for you, as you've said. Absolutely, because yeah. I don't think I've been able to find any other mechatronics engineer that has had a very similar career path to I. So I think that also speaks to itself in that it is, it is just so broad and everyone can really take it however they want. Yeah, you can cherry pick and then go, well, I've got a bit of this, I've got a bit of that. Now my mm. interest is in this and then off I'm going. So tell me a little yeah. bit, what, what particular challenges have you faced so far? Well, I guess it's a double-edged sword in that respect in that because you can cherry pick and you can choose like here and there and you can kind of, <laughs> There's so many options for you. I think it's quite difficult to figure out um, which direction you actually want to take and how much time you can spend taking a decision to figure out it's not right for you and then to work up the courage to be like, okay, I need to try again. I need to try find something else that will probably maybe suit me a little bit better. But I think all of those things are quite hard to say until you actually are in it and doing it because it's just it's a different thing hearing someone talk about it to you actually being in it. Yeah, no, I agree. And I um, I was chatting to a guy that uh, is in gaming and doing robotics and mm. uh, and building things. And he says it's such a hands-on experience. And you would, you would actually think today anyone that's at school would actually have the opportunity to go into a company and actually go and do some workplace experience and actually go, look, mm. I'm going to commit four years of my life to studying this. I better make sure I yeah. actually enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah, in that you, you really don't, I, I think... Yeah, like you said before, your bachelor's degree or like whatever degree or whatever education that you have behind you really is that foundation. And that, yeah, you can just keep making decisions and people enter robotics. And it, like, I mean, robotics being the field that I'm in, people enter it from so many different avenues and not even from a mechatronics or even engineering background, which is, I think, quite impressive. Definitely. I think so too. So, well, I mean, I, I suppose in a way I'm a little bit of an example of that because I've got none of your, your education base, but look, everyone's got their little niche and role that they play mm. in the field. So we, we can all contribute in whatever way we can. So you were yeah. involved in the AOM hub, which is the advanced robotics for manufacturing up in Brisbane since its inception. Uh-huh. Tell us a little bit about your journey there. So um, the arm hub, I was actually part of it before it was even started so it's it's been a it's definitely been an interesting journey um so from the beginning it actually stemmed from a imcrc funded research project that was a collaboration between qt uap and rmit um, so i was hired as a mechatronics engineer on the qt research team 
And so the whole project, the design robotics project was focused on how we can help UAP and their unique manufacturing challenges. So they manufacture large scale public art. So like all of the massive facades, all of the really large sculptures that you just see. So there's actually a handful within Australia, uh, just all over. And like, I don't actually know too many, too much about Melbourne, which is where you're in. Um, but in Brisbane, there's like a bunch of sculptures on the new bikeway bridge near One William Street Airport domestic terminal has a facade on there that's UAP. Um, there's facades all within the actual city centre, but again, all UAP. And I actually found it really interesting because um, before I actually met UAP, I feel like no one really talks about who actually makes the art. I mean, obviously the artists design and create and do all of that, but obviously it's also to only a small extent because the moment you have to put it onto a skyscraper, there's yeah. obviously a lot of engineering and a lot more to do to upscale, <laughs> to upscale it. And so one of the challenges or like for UAP anyway, they, made all of this art but all of it was only ever one-offs two-offs that kind of thing so they weren't really able to adopt a lot of the i guess the more traditional automation techniques in that all of that would usually do the like really repetitive the exact same thing pick something up from one spot put it into another spot so all of that kind of automation wasn't really viable for them because every time they made something while they'd be doing maybe the same five processes to them it would always be on a different surface of a different form of a different material all of that kind of stuff so the research project of Design Robotics was looking at how can we actually get robotics um, or more advanced technology to be able to assist them. And so the project that I focused on was actually linishing, which is linear finishing. And so this was like identified, I guess, as one of more their consistent processes in that finishing is always required. Um, but I think the unique thing about that was um, a lot of times you see finishing, it's not for art. So in an art level, it's obviously so much more about the aesthetics. There's obviously like a technical quality about it but it has to look good. It has to look to the same extent that the artist has actually portrayed it to, to be. Um, and so that's a, a much harder metric <laughs> to be yeah. able to automate towards. But during this project, I was actually quite fortunate that I actually got to work at UAP for a period of time. And I actually got to work alongside um, a bunch of their like workshop staff and specifically Matteo, who is their expert finisher. Um, and so I actually got to work with him because he has linished for his entire life. Um, and it's quite, it, it is a very backbreaking job. It is something where you hold a rotating drum that has a sandpaper on it. And you have to, for linishing, you have to move in perfectly straight lines and you have to overlap a, like an equal distance every time you make one of those lines. Otherwise, again, the aesthetic doesn't look good and you can tell that something has happened to this, to this piece. And obviously that is not acceptable. Um, and so to do this as a person, as you can imagine, and as, to do this on a, a small piece, as you can imagine, would be really difficult. But then to do this on something that is large <laughs> is even more difficult. It's just, it, it's, it's a very hard task. And Matteo has been doing it for so long in his life that his, like, his I guess, mobility has really suffered because of it. Um, and so he was actually quite excited and one of the pioneers for being able to use robots and specifically cobots in this project um, to help him with his processes. Um, and so it was, yeah, it was really great. I really enjoyed the fact that I got to, actually work alongside the people who hold the expertise because at the end of the day I'm just a mechatronics engineer who can program robots in terms of what it's going to do who's going to use it and how it can grow and be adopted fully is completely dependent on the person using it and in this instance it was Matteo so being able to actually work with him to develop this was quite amazing and it really like this whole experience with UAP has really uh, given me like a solid foundation and truly like reinforced why a collaboration with more than just robotics people is so critical for all of this stuff. 
Uh, like I really believe that people doing any form of automation project shouldn't just be working in silos with just people like them. Yeah. And I think the key thing to a lot of this is that, yeah, you have to do the development, you have to do the development with the people that are actually going to use the robot. Um, Listen, it's fascinating. I, I'm just my, I've stopped it where you said I'd hold it and the, the, you know, like the line, line, my, the artwork would be yeah. waste with me. That's just not going to happen. Like I can <laughs> make 20 of these until I can practice getting it straight. It's fascinating. Um, I'll actually have a look at their website and put a link in there. Um, do, do you know yeah, that okay. some of their work uh, displayed there? For, um, for UAP? Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll put I can that, that you after this. Yeah, please, that would be great. I'll put that in the show notes. And it's it's really interesting your point that different people of different um, fields collaborating because I mean the the joke is that you can always see um, you know when an engineer has designed something and they're not actually using it. Yeah. So whether it's a male or female, you can say, yeah. listen, you know, you actually need to get the people who are going to be using this to come in and have a look at it. So yeah, it is absolutely. Your point. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and how long were you involved at uh, the Arm Hub? So, I have been there since it started. So, I think that's been a year and a half now, yeah. maybe two years, closer to two years. Um, but one thing I didn't actually mention is, so the Design Robotics Project is focused, obviously, on UAP and how we can help UAP. But then Arm Hub addressed the opportunity of, well, we can actually help not just one Australian manufacturing mm. company, but look at the entire industry on a whole. And um, this actually all happens well before COVID. And it was like, has been in the process in the pipeline well, well before COVID even happened. But it was quite interesting because Arm Hub actually started um, that March last year, where essentially that's when all hell broke loose. Yeah. And it really showed us, uh, I guess, the flaws in the Australian manufacturing industry and our like heavy reliance on just other countries and I mean it showed the same thing for so many other countries but I think one of the I guess if you can take positive things away from COVID and the whole global pandemic is that it has allowed us and have like afforded us the opportunity to actually reflect and look at how we are doing things and why we do or don't take on certain aspects of this industry but yeah so I've been yeah been with Armhub since yeah I think two years now um, uh, listen, but, they go, they're going from strength to strength. I've actually interviewed both Corey and uh, yeah. Professor Jonathan and, Roberts. Yeah. I mean, they, uh-huh. they're all in a league of their own up there. I still, think, <laughs> I still think Queensland, in terms of robotics, you're the leaders in Australia. There's no doubt in my mind that you, as a state, like um, it, it's, it's all happening up there. Yeah, no, I was um, very fortunate to be working alongside so many uh, just amazing people in so many different ways and also not of just engineering, which was really cool. Yeah. So tell us about uh, your position now at CSRO Data 61. You're a wildcat mm-hmm. robotics field engineer. Like, w- tell us mm-hmm. about this. So I am new. It's a, I think only been about a month now since I've uh, made the transition into CSRO. Uh, but Wildcat is a is actually just a dedicated um, software team within the robotics and autonomous systems group mm-hmm. at CSRO. Uh, and I'm actually Wildcat's first hire that isn't a software engineer. <laughs> so, so well done on two accounts the month and then <laughs> yeah yeah um, so it's quite exciting to be in uh, yeah I guess one of the new newer roles for them um, but Wildcat is actually in the process um, as we speak of spinning out and forming our own company which will happen at some point during this year um, but the software that Wildcat is working on is SLAM which mm-hmm. is simultaneous localization and mapping so what Wildcat is able to provide is effectively this like platform technology 
that is solving spatial awareness. Um, so what that actually means that is that it's actually solving the problem of wearing of knowing where your like sensor, your vehicle, your robot, your object, whatever it is, um, to a very accurate degree in a robust map that Wildcat also generates at the same time. And it can do this all real time. It can do this with multiple robots and over multiple sessions. Um, and this really is like the platform technology that is um, behind all autonomous systems and all autonomous robots as it's providing the data to it. Um, and the three pillars, I suppose, that Wildcat actually stands on behind all of the stuff that we actually produce is the accuracy, the robustness, and the flexibility behind all of the maps and the methods as to how we do this. What does a typical day look like for you, being a month in? <laughs> yeah, so it, again, I think every day has been um, has been quite different just because, again, yeah, I'm new. And also because we are in this process of spinning out, yeah. And so um, I don't think it's going to be reflective of what it would be like in the next few months, as I'm sure it's going to ramp up a lot more. Yeah. Um, but like a lot of the technical work that I focus on has been about like, so as the field engineer, uh, my role is about helping the customers that we have be able to integrate Wildcat, the software itself, onto whatever hardware that they have um, and whatever configurations that might mean and whatever sensors that might mean as well. Um, and then so... Part of my role is managing that. Part of my role is also figuring out because everyone has different software and like sorry, different hardware, uh, how can we just make it easier for Wildcats to be able to adopt and change and like have um, a, almost like an approved list of sensors that we can just easily plug and play. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm looking as to like what kinds of, like what does that mean for us and like what sort of ones would actually be viable for our platform to support. And yeah, a lot of, um, yeah, just customer support and like actual integration challenges, trying to figure out as well, we like regularly meeting with more customers and new customers um, and trying to see like what are the challenges, how would Wildcat help them, um, what are the things that we can do to work better together and help their business grow essentially. So in terms of your um, well-knownness, if I can put it like that in Australia, like <laughs> do companies know that you exist and that you, you're there to help them and they, they can contact you? Um, so we are going to start pushing a lot harder on that. Um, but fortunately for us, it, there's actually been a, um, so I guess our most recent and uh, yeah, our most recent push, I guess, for this has been the DARPA challenge. Yep. So have you heard about this? Yes, yeah. I, I actually tomorrow, um, well, not tomorrow for you, but I'm releasing uh, <laughs> Dr. Cottage's interview. So yes, oh, I had a very in-depth discussion with him. I'm very yes. familiar with it. Yes. Yes. Well, <laughs> I would say listen to that episode. He's yeah. going to be able to talk about Cyro's involvement and yeah, how we went in the DARPA challenge. Um, and yeah, it's just been an amazing journey. But that has that DARPA challenge has been essentially, I guess, Wildcat's um, first public showcase as to what we can do. Uh, because behind all of the robots in that challenge, Wildcat is what was running underneath the hood. And so Wildcat was the one that was providing all of those robots the spatial understanding and being able to like do the mapping and the ex exploration of the subterranean environment. Um, uh, he he yes. was telling me it was an absolute wild ride. So I didn't actually know that you were involved in it. So like, that's even better that you're on the podcast now, but he was saying because of the time differences, you were all over the place. And oh, you know, yeah. when everyone was sleeping, you're awake and vice versa. But it must have been an absolutely amazing experience. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy time. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I mean, how well done have you done? Like, absolute congratulations. Uh, joined first place, pipped at, I think, 34 seconds or something to second place. But I mean, the million dollars is going to come in handy to be reinvested again. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, yeah definitely so, so i i actually think i saw some uh youtubes of you and uh, professor roberts talking about how important mm -hmm. robotics is like so tell us a little bit about this what do you, what's your view on the future in robotics for australia mm, yeah i think this is this is a little bit of a controversial topic <laughs> um but i think ultimately robots play a function in our future um uh, but they aren't necessarily the future in that regard um and i think at the end of the day robots and all of this this whole realm i guess can be considered almost as tools and they really are only able to show their greatest potential when you find the right job for them in the same regard that any tool it only really works for you can it only really showcases its i guess yeah usefulness once mm. you actually find and you've figured out and how to like optimize towards how to use those tools and you know the pros and cons and like how to actually use it so when I think of this question, the first thing I actually think of is always robot arms for some reason. It's probably yeah. just because of all of my, like from my arms arm days, all the manufacturing companies that we visited, it was essentially like the hottest topic. Uh, everyone wanted a robot arm. And I think that's got a lot to do with the marketing that's been behind it mm. because robot arms are typically sold as being able to do pretty much anything and everything, uh, which in some regards is like, it's true, but mm. it's also caveated with the fact that it's an incredibly hard task to be able to cho like chop and change between these certain things. And so I think it really yeah, it comes back down to you need to be able to find um, the specific task that it's actually going to be good at, have a good enough understanding as to what, I guess, robots and what whatever robot that you're looking at is able to do and figure out how you might actually implement it. And I think another, like, I guess, classic pitfall of this kind of adoption is that when we think of automation and how we can, like, automate some task, we typically try to do it in the same way that a human would do it, mm. which is not necessarily the best way, if you will. Um, as to how you might do it because it's not the same as a human and because it is a different tool. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I completely agree with you. You want a robotic solution for a problem that's out there that you need a robotic solution for it. It's no point mm. doing a robotic solution and then going, okay, what problem can I go and solve? Like, you know, in some instances, it's a little bit with some of them, it's a little bit backward. Um, you know, my my field of uh, robotics is telepresence robots. And I, mm. when, wherever I go, I have to explain to people, these robots are not here to take your job. Like this is, this is <laughs> Yeah. like everything else that you um that you're mm -hmm. using to talk to someone and that that's exactly what yeah. it is it's it's not designed to uh be you know take someone it, it's just not designed it's not that smart anyway but yeah i think that's part of um you know our uptake of robotics in australia isn't that great and mm. i i think it's part of the education process just talking to people what robotics are and and what it's mm. meant to do and, and how it's meant to actually help you but i was watching looking at something on linkedin this morning i don't know if you've seen it but this robot that looks so human like like it actually looks mm. like a person and it's it's um on the linkedin little video this woman touched its nose and it actually flipped her <laughs> hand away and I thought, oh my goodness like that i have to say that just um, that's just not I, I just don't want to go down that road i mean what's that it's that uncanny valley effect that you look at and you yeah. know you sort of you do a bit of a jerk back what's what's your perception when you when you talk to people about what you do in robots do they is there any i mean obviously you've got a, a group of friends that would be well versed in engineering but when you meet someone that's got no background in robotics what mm. and you get this question what do you say to them <laughs> well typically people don't even know what a mechatronics engineer is or does so i think that's the first hurdle we always jump over yeah. Um, and then, yeah, typically then from robots, it does quickly go into jobs and like, yeah, 
what does this mean for people in their jobs I suppose and yeah like we like we've just touched on it uh, like in history like a lot of research has actually shown that um companies and like again I can really talk about this from the manufacturing context because of just my experiences um it really shows that companies that actually adopt robotics and automate processes that are I guess we would like we like to classify as like a dirty, dull or dangerous mm-hmm. um, actually ends up meaning that you stop your staff from getting hurt to begin with. You actually increase their like career longevity. Um, but because you've now automated away tasks that are incredibly repetitive, you can probably do them at a faster rate, probably to a higher quality, which means that your business as a whole will actually end up growing, which means that you actually need to hire more people. And then I think as well, what ends up happening is while the robots or autonomous systems or whatever it is, is taking those repetitive tasks away, um, you end up being able to use the people who were doing it and being able to harness their expertise to be able to actually make those robots do it better. Um, But ultimately, it's not necessarily a job reduction, more more of it is being a job evolution. Yeah. Now, I think you've, you've put that incredibly well and succinctly. That is exactly, um, and I think people um, such as yourself, anyone in the robotics industry, it's actually beholden to us to actually educate people when they mm. when they make these wild statements. Oh, yeah. robots are taking jobs. Where you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, some jobs they are, but the, the flow on from that is, is exactly as you've mm-hmm. just explained it. So you volunteered for a few years as a school outreach coordinator for Engineers Without Borders Australia. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, so I did this when I was in uni. Um, yeah. And I did this for a handful of years then. Um, and yeah, it was it was um, probably my most, I guess, interesting <laughs> robot uh, no, uh, volunteering experience that I've had. And I, I really loved it. I, I truly did. Uh, hence why I became the like school outreach coordinator for QUT. Yes. Um, yeah. And it was just um, like, I mean, I've always wanted to do more STEM outreach work. I mean, we always hear about the lack of women um, and girls who were like actually engaging within STEM and so we also know that uh, you really I guess um, a lot of that actually starts at a re- like a stupidly young age mm-hmm. and so I've always wanted to be able to like I mean still to this day I hope for the rest of my life be able to watch be able to continue doing STEM outreach and promoting all of this sort of stuff um, as as well I actually didn't get any of this when I was in school I think I'm quite fortunate in that I didn't I don't know, wasn't discouraged for whatever reason. <laughs> but yeah, we all know that it's a thing that happens and it's a thing that happens very regularly. Um, and as well with um, Engineers Without Borders, it having a larger focus on humanitarian engineering. And it was actually where I learned about like human-centered design and the importance of all of that, I think as well, because that's not a classically taught or like known about or heard of the type of engineering. I think that also added to its merits of like all the different workshops that we did. Uh, because again, it just highlights how many different parts of engineering there are in the world. So you've touched on something interesting that you said it happens very, very young when you start making these decisions about whether you, like, I'm assuming you've got it, what it takes to go into STEM. I had um, Dr. Amanda Caples, who's the lead scientist in Victoria on the show, and I suggested they should make maths compulsory till year 12. You just actually don't have a choice about this. But um, <laughs> she laughed and said she's not going to tackle that one. But just, <laughs> Just your observation there, just uh, extrapolate. Tell me a little bit why you say that. I guess it's just from, like, even just from my own experiences, you can see, I guess, the differences between, like, high school, early uni students, even the way that people react to me being a mechatronics engineer 
you can see the difference between how uh, a female versus a male might do it in that it's almost always like enveloped within some something about I don't know it always ends up turning back into oh I would never do that because I'm not technically something something but and I think that kind that 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 level of I'm not really sure how to describe it but like that level that 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 comment that they're making has it's probably of, been something that's ingrained for so long. Yeah, it's yourself. It's, it's your self-talk that you you yeah. make a statement and then you eventually start believing whatever rubbish you say. You know, you might as well just say I am very technical, and you can at the flip, you know, you can change your self-talk as well to actually start going. Actually, I can give it a go, and I can mm. become proficient. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like there's just such a social barrier to it. It's not necessarily that they can't do it it's just someone has told them that they probably can't and now it's too scary to try so I think a lot of the STEM outreach work like what I hope to do anyway with it is just be able to have those kinds of conversations with yeah younger girls and just talk to them about it and just see what it's like and just have the conversation and try to break down some barriers and do you think you've had some success like do you have any like stories that you've gotten that you've spoken to someone and they've actually they've decided based on their chat to you they're going to do something different <laughs> uh, I've definitely had a lot of conversations that have like I suppose opened up and just again but with those workshops anyway within like EWB it was really uh, being able to like support them through the journey to continue to keep trying because a lot of times like a lot of these workshops were about making something to keep like um, exploring and experimenting and then I think as well like that kind of like the critical thinking the problem solving those kinds of skills I think are ultimately more important but and yeah. so it was really great to be able to actually support a series of students to be able to like walk through and feel accomplished and feel proud and feel like they've actually done something that they're that they've yeah just feel yeah really good about themselves that they've been able to do something that is maybe more technical than what they had ever done before listen congratulations Amelia like you cannot you cannot overestimate the importance of the work that you're doing there and I'm really happy to hear that you're considering going on with it because I think for a lot of um and look let's face it it's the girls that that we really need to support in this you know and whether they um decide to go into engineering or do I think the most important is keep your op open because when you decide at school already and it's so young to make decisions based mm. on like I'm not this mm -hmm. that. so that's why I say I think some subjects you just actually don't have a choice because you don't actually really know at school um, in my opinion you know I'm talking to a lot of 18 year olds and they go they've got no idea mm. but you've already yeah. excluded yourself based on the subject choices that and let's face it about at 15 this is where these choices start coming mm. in that's very very young to go oh well mm -hmm. I'm good at this or I'm not good at that Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it's definitely too young to be making such critical decisions about your life yeah and look it's not to say that you can't go you can't eventually get into a stem mm. you know like but, but it just makes it it just makes it unnecessarily hard when you just go look yeah to be doing this and i've now listen congratulations i think it's absolutely fantastic that you're doing it and um i'm sure you've made a difference in in people's and you know it just takes one little ripple effect that you just you just plant the seed and before you know it someone looks at them and goes well listen based on your journey if you can do it I can also do it yeah well if any of your listeners know of any uh, STEM outreach opportunities I'm always all ears for them and would love to get more involved fantastic there you've got an open invitation for an absolutely <laughs> capable bright young lady get Amelia on board so now do you have mentors 
Yes. Okay. Tell, um, tell me a little bit about it. How did, you know, I, I think this is, this is extremely important for people, male, female, everyone, everyone mm. should have a mentor. Mm -hmm. uh, how young, how old were you when you got your first one? You take us through the thought process. So just to take a step back from that, actually. So I think, yeah, regardless of who you are, what you do, I think it is important to have mentors, but I think, I don't know, the word mentor, I feel also has its own connotations, obviously. But I think it's also more important to actually just have a good support network around you. So having different people that you can share things and thoughts and feelings with, actually ask for advice. So whether this is actually, I think as well, mentoring is typically more of like the career aspects, which I mean, is definitely part of it, but I don't think it's the only. Um, so I think, yeah, having a support network that varies amongst all the different types of, I guess, yeah, aspects in your life, I think is really critical. And then having so yeah getting career mentors like specifically people to assist me in discussing things about my career yeah, is something that i have done previously um i've had probably like i guess more too formal mentoring um aspects in that and one of them was actually corey so the yeah. um, arm hub ceo yeah so because i met her during design robotics and when she was doing all the pitching and all of that sort of stuff about trying to get arm hub up and then the other one is someone from is uh raki who she I met her through the women in technology um, and that was probably like a more even more structured version of it in that it was like a 12-week program um, and we actually had like specific topics and activities to do and it was um, just really insightful to have someone who she had actually done the mentoring program but as a mentee a few years ago and then so it was interesting for her to now be a mentor in the same program but for someone else um, but yeah, and I think at that point in time as well, like that, that the WIT one was um, a bit more focused towards like, I guess, more career change um, and trying to like see just more career options, all that kind of stuff. And it was, I found it really insightful, really useful because it gave me, I guess, the vocabulary as to how to talk about it, how to think about it. Um, and I'm a person that loves processes and systems. <laughs> and so being able to uh, like see it, have like have research presented about how you might want to think about a career change and all that sort of stuff, having that kind of structure behind these kinds of, uh, I guess, typically traditional, um, more overwhelming decisions, I found really useful. Um, but on top of all of this, I think as well, I think sometimes you can also, you should be able to also refer to your mentors as more of like champions than anything yeah. else. And so these people being the ones who can actually give you and like not like actually have an opportunity that they've been asked to do but give that to someone who is um, maybe a little bit more junior maybe someone who hasn't had that experience before but give you the genuine opportunity to take something take responsibility of something and actually grow and learn from it and I think as well like I mean as much as you want to talk about your career and how you want to do things and all that sort of stuff ultimately what underpins it is obviously your experiences and so I think your champions in that regard then are critical because they're the ones who are actually able to present you with an opportunity i agree with everything you've said and i, I my mind just goes to the fact that i think kids should in year 11 and 12 already be looking at this and going like who can they talk to who can who mm. can guide them who can you know preferably <clears throat> someone older such as yourself i mean by you by no means old but you know like you <laughs> just that you've you've got a bit of experience already you know you've done the degree like you know the ropes you've worked a bit so you know a little bit about the industry you can talk mm. about challenges that you faced and how you've navigated mm. them and you go this is not like this is not a career you know you're going to have challenges whatever career you 
choose to go and it's just how mm. you navigate and they really mm. I really like the fact you know that you've mentioned the language that you use around it because sometimes you need to actually have mm. scripts in place of things that you you just learn them that so if things come your way that you know like you even if you don't know something you you not you know you don't feel as though the wind sort of knocked out of you, you just go listen I'll have to invest in mm. that I'll get back to you no one's expected that you need you need to know everything yeah. at the drop of a hat but I think um I think people think that kids think that you know mm. you need to know you, mm-hmm. you're not actually expected to know everything yeah. so Amelia do you actually go um just as you were talking I was thinking you should actually go and talk to kids that are doing engineering degrees um you know like as a as a speaker that universities <laughs> should have this they should have their students coming back and talking to the, the undergrads and saying to them listen yeah. these are some of the things that are going to happen to you yeah. in your journey like and be aware mm-hmm. of it and you know this is the normal process yeah there was actually um the name escapes me but there was a group at QUT that was doing STEM outreach work and it was towards um I still I think like senior year high school students but I think they were like in a engineering focused group or something along those lines um and yeah they actually asked me to present and do a, and I was um gonna do a like robot demonstration and this is when I was at arm hub so I had like the robot arms already and I was gonna do like a pick and place thing but unfortunately COVID got in the way um, and I, I we went into a lockdown I think the exact same week that that was meant to happen so it never ended up happening but <laughs> but um yeah I mean those sorts of things I think are really important and, and yeah again something that I'm always interested in doing yeah, it's a pity you live up in Brisbane. I think I could put you to use here in lots of places in Melbourne. I have to poach you. I know that's not going to happen, but you know, like, let me just plant the seed there in your mind. So, so um, just any besides everything that you sort of chatted about, any advice to women, particularly thinking of getting into into engineering? Obviously, they can contact you. So, um, I've mm. been remiss in saying if you have not connected with Amelia on LinkedIn. Um, rectify your error immediately and contact <laughs> her and uh, get her into your network like your your posts are interesting so just from that point of view but I think for um, younger you know younger women starting on the the career journey your advice has been really it's invaluable particularly to these women what would you say if they think listen this is just too much for them actually one of the things that I um I, I learned from the Whit Mentoring program was to not be afraid to ask ask questions um and I think for this regard and actually that connect with people that you find interesting that you've read about a little bit and yeah I think it's so hard to make a decision when you don't have all the facts so I guess as well yeah if you can find someone that you know or like you've seen on LinkedIn that you've seen on online and ask them what is it like I'm interested in doing this I can you tell me more uh if I want to do this how can I do it um, all those kinds of questions, and I'm sure pretty much everyone would be more than happy to actually have a conversation and talk about it. Look, you know, you um, you just you make my day when you say that because so far everyone that I've spoken to on this podcast, all capable, busy people, they are mm. all so willing to talk to people and say, just reach out and ask the question. So again, to yeah. our listeners, uh, there is your invitation. Um, <laughs> contact Amelia if you want to know something. Um, you can tag her and say you've listened to the podcast and she will immediately, Amelia, I'm just speaking for you here. She'll be delighted <laughs> to hear from you. So Absolutely um, delighted. Thank you. I, I can't <laughs> thank you enough. And um, look, I wish you continued success on your journey. I, I think you're going to just be absolutely amazing. Um, you know, the listeners, you can't see Amelia, but I can. And she's just 
just just oozes um enthusiasm and energy so i again like let me find ways of poaching you to melbourne in some company yeah. <laughs> again i know it's not going to happen because brisbane's pretty nice to live up there i mean yeah um we can could uh, the listeners contact you besides uh, LinkedIn? Um, LinkedIn and yet yeah, my um, thorough email, which yeah, I'll pass on to. Oh, I mean, I think you already have. I've, I've got it. I'll put it that. in the show. Yep, I'll put it in the yeah. show notes. I just wanted to confirm that it's okay for them to yeah. reach out. So Amelia's address mm-hmm. will be there. Um, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And um, any last thoughts or closing remarks for our listeners? Robots are fun. It's very cool that I get to do it for a job. And I hope more people can get on board with this. (laughs) Thank you so much. And to our listeners, uh, wherever you're in the world, thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Be sure to join us again next week. Emilia, thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. (laughs) 